Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos. Today we're going to be talking about grieving with Christ as our advocate. So thank you for joining me. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there are two others here with me in the studio. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. Pastor Mike, would you pray for us as we begin? Absolutely. Almighty God, as we gather here this day and those who are streaming are gathered with us through um, whatever form that might be on the social media platform, we just pray, Heavenly Father, that um, we are able to look to you to find hope in the midst of uh, the grieving that takes place in this life that we live. Uh, but most of all, dear God, we just pray for your presence uh, to, to comfort those dear ones who may be grieving at this time. And so, Lord, we ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 So today, our program in our Bible study is going to really follow three main segments. We're going to start off by talking about hope. Again, when we understand that Christ is our advocate, Christ has conquered death itself. And we're going to look at this with two signs, one Christ being the comforter, but also the defender, the one who comes to deliver us, as you'll find somewhere like 1 Thessalonians, where we are delivered from that wrath which is to come. Death itself is something that God hates, and he wants to liberate us from that. So we're going to be talking about Christ as our comforter and defender. Then we're going to be talking about the importance of keeping the memory of someone with you. And that really has two sides as well. We're going to talk about honoring the memory of people, but also having a life of gratitude as well, because being a person of gratitude is really going to help in your, your psychology and how we handle things. But then the last segment we're going to talk about is the way that the adversary, Satan, the diabolical one, slips in to really destroy the grieving process, to make things worse, to add suffering where suffering is not due. And we're going to be looking at that in the end. But before we jump into any of this, if you've tuned into our program today about grief, you probably are grieving someone in your own life. And while we talk about many things in the abstract, even though we might use some language that might be very generic, I want you out there in the audience to think about the one whom you are grieving. And I want you to think about these things in a very specific way. I don't want this to be something which is vague or impersonal for you out there in the audience. I want this to be something which is, in fact, very personal, where we are keeping those alive who have gone before us. So as we begin, I'm mostly going to throw things over to the others with me here in the studio, and I want us to begin with that conversation of hope. Mm. And let's just begin with the importance of recognizing that Christ alone is our hope. Pastor Mena? Well, I mean, of course, and this is, um, I think when we talk about hope and grieving specifically, we, we jump to that passage in First Thessalonians that says that we do not grieve as those without hope. And, and I think the, the language that Paul is using there really helps us understand, one, it's not that we don't grieve. Um, the people of God are very keenly aware of grief and suffering. I mean, the whole story of the people of God starts with, although, I mean, obviously we trace it back to Abraham and, and even all the way back down to Adam and Eve, but really where the people of God begin to define themselves as such is that they are being rescued out of slavery, mm. that they are crossing uh, the, the Red Sea, that they are wandering in the wilderness, and they are then coming to a promised land. The people of God understand suffering intimately and deeply. And so grief is a part of that suffering. And yet throughout the story of God, as much as there is suffering and pain, there is also God's continual presence in the midst of the suffering and pain. And so this is then where when Paul can write uh, that we are not to grieve like people without hope, because he says, yes, you're going to grieve. But there is something that is calling us deeper. And this is also 
you know, where we understand and we look to the resurrection of the Christ, that Christ has died, has resurrected, and now we look forward to that one day when all will be resurrected, and we can live in that hope here and now. And the only one that can give us that hope is Christ, is uh, Jesus, the Christ, the personal and knowable presence of the eternal and infinite God. Amen. Pastor Mike? You know, I think as uh, Pastor Amanda reached back to Apostle Paul, I'd like to go back to uh, John and understand that, you know, even uh, in the prologue to John's uh, gospel, he ties Jesus as being at the very beginning, um, that God in Christ Jesus is the creator as well. And we know that God is the creator of life. He is the one who not only is, is, you know, creator, but also the logic behind life in itself. And so we see, you know, even this, um, you know, episode being kingdom of the logos, that word logos is often translated as word, but it is the logic. And so God has uh, this understanding that far exceeds our understanding, but God is the giver of life, the creator of life. And so we see that even as Jesus comes and goes to that cross, he defeats death in order that life and life abundantly may come. Um, And so we look at not only the Garden of Eden, but we also look to um, heaven and the kingdom of heaven as it's broken in with Christ Jesus. Mm. Amen. Mm. Well, one of the things which is certainly true is the more we open up the gospel, the more we find ourselves being made complete, the more we find ourselves really entering into the hope of Christ. And in the modern church, we're really good at talking about Jesus as a comforter. Mm. But as a pastor, I've come to realize that when people are grieving, Now, again, people are at different stages and at different places in life, but a lot of times when people are grieving, especially when parents are grieving the loss of a child, they're not just looking for comfort in that moment. Many times they're looking for a defender. Mm. When you look somewhere like Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, where Jesus rides in on the white horse, he comes in and his name is faithful and true. He comes to judge and make war in righteousness. If you have lost a child, that is a text of extreme hope. Because God does not like death. Death is a curse. It is not a good thing. It is not something which was part of the created order as being part of something that is good and designed by God. But God hates it. And ultimately, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, death itself gets put in the lake of fire. Mm. So the tragedy of a parent losing a child, that suffering, which is so enormous, it is beyond anything that we can really compare to here on this life. Of all the many terrible tyrannies and evils and wickeds that I've seen people go through, the loss of a child by parents, I think, is the most extreme thing that someone can go through. And yet God hates that. God the Father watched as God the Son died. And in the end, Christ is not just here to give a hug, but also to say no more of that death, no more of those children being taken from Mm -hmm. their parent. That death which robbed those parents of those years and that goodness and that life itself, that death itself is going to be put in the lake of fire. Mm -hmm. And to really open up the gospel in its fullness and to go all the way from the birth of Jesus to the resurrection of his body and then ultimately the resurrection of the dead that we find in Revelation chapter 20, we do find this beautiful truth that Christ is our defender. Mm. And to kind of put a finer point on the text I had earlier from 1 Thessalonians 10, 
that scripture reads to us a very beautiful hope where it says, We wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Meaning all those wicked things are going to be put down and they're going to be laid to rest. Vengefully. But those who are saved by the blood of the Lamb, they will be freed. They will be restored. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. What are y'all thoughts on that of Christ as the the avenger, mm-hmm. the one who comes as the advocate, the deliverer? I think, you know, one of the things we see, whether it be in, in uh, Exodus, where we see the story of Moses uh, and the loss of the little children, um, where, where it's happening by, uh, you know, uh, the... Um, peril of or fierceness of a, a king who do, or Pharaoh who doesn't want to see um, the the continuing of of life among the Hebrews or we even go to when at Jesus's birth where we see the jealousy of Herod and wants to kill all the, the little children and we understand that those mothers will not be comforted mm-hmm. and and so we understand the loss of uh, a loved one especially when it gets to the point where it's a child it is extremely against the nature that God originally designed for life and life to happen and so we we struggle with that tremendously I think in the sense that we see that 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 it is always, whether it be the sacrifices to Baal um, or whatever, that the loss of a child is against God throughout our Bible. And we can see that being weaved. The beauty is we see Jesus in many times not only saying, bring the little children to me, but we see him raising uh, those children back to life, mm-hmm. whether it be, uh, you know, a widow or... or um, um, the synagogue leader, we see that God is is such a loving God that he he does. He, he opposes this death, and God is the victor through the cross of Christ Jesus, that there is an empty tomb, there is a resurrection, and there is this hope that God the defender in Christ Jesus will saddle up on that white horse and come back and, and cast death and Hades away, that there is an eternal life that awaits those who have, who hunger and hunger for that rightly relatedness and being together with family and lost loved ones again. Mm. Pastor Amanda, your thoughts on Christ as the defender and Mm. kind of the good news of Jesus coming in on the white horse. Well, and I think that's depending on where we are in our lives and our Christian walk and, and kind of how we're intersecting with culture, sometimes that can seem like good news. Sometimes it can seem very harsh. Um, and I think we have to look at to why the original authors wrote what they did, why they explained uh, the, the kingdom of God in the way that they did. And we have to be honest that throughout church history, some of those more harsh passages have been used as kind of a sword to wield against other people to be like, you know, uh, you, Christ is going to come on the white horse to conquer you, to defeat you. And so then whatever kingdom or king is using that verse can then say, I, I can defeat you. But that's not what they were written for. That That's not the rationale. And the reason for some of these harsh and terrifying imageries that we have in Revelation or Matthew's gospel, he likes to conclude a lot of his parables with weeping and gnashing of teeth. These images were not meant to terrify. They weren't a scare tactic to get people into the church or, or to convert or confess anything they were 
this language was used to tell us, like you said, good news. Because the people who were hearing these stories, the story of Christ, the parables of Christ, or the final revelation of Christ, they were being tormented. Yeah. Injustice and uh, protection, the things that their government, that their systems were supposed to provide them, was not providing them, right. was actually being used against them. On multiple levels, by well, the way. Well, yeah, economic, social, yeah. Um, literally people were being beaten and thrown in prison and, and killed. And uh, yes, or your families were torn apart because of it. You couldn't have a job or if you had a job, you couldn't, you know, trade with other tradesmen because of it. There were very so many levels of life that were being impacted by this. And so Matthew sits down and writes, John sits down and writes, the gospel writers, the epistle writers, they sit down or they stand up and talk and other people sit down and write. I don't know how it was done, but they tell the people that in this life, you should work for justice. In this life, you should work for mercy and grace and compassion. And in this life, when you don't get compassion and grace and justice back to you, when that is not extended to you, you are not without hope because there will be a day when justice and grace and compassion will come in its fullness. Yeah. So the again, the Jesus coming on the white horse with the flaming sword or flaming eyes or however that analogy in that particular passage is described, that is not meant to scare us. And if yeah. it scares us, then honestly, you got some probably some repentance and reflection to do. Unless it's right. been used against you, then I, I can understand there might be some apprehension if someone's misused that passage against you. But overall that passage is meant to give us hope. Right. And we have to see, when we read these passages and we find hope in them, it is because there is a God who loves us. And this is the other thing that we have to look at, right? Who is being cast in that fire? Right. It's death. It's yep. destruction. Death it's death pain. Yep. It's sin. It's brokenness. We cannot use this passage to condemn other people. Instead, what it does is, is it calls us to call all people into right. a loving relationship with God. Because if all the things that they are facing, because we all are facing the consequences of death, whether it is literally the death of someone we love or, or sickness or disease or just the general brokenness and relationship we have with others, that dies. Right. And this is this is good news. Christ has conquered death, not by avoiding it, but but by transforming it. That death, Christ experienced even death, death on a cross, so that even death itself could not have the final word. And this this is good news. Christ comes to conquer, not like earthly kings come to conquer, but in the wholeness and in the completeness and in the perfectness that Christ can bring in Christ's justice, love, and mercy. Yeah, and just to build off that for a little bit, one of the problems that unfortunately happens, if you've lived a life of luxury, then oftentimes something like Revelation 19 is going to seem peculiar, if not mean and like vicious. But if you've lived a life where you have suffered real tragedy, then suddenly you start to appreciate the beauty of this. Mm -hmm. You start to appreciate that, hey, all of these wicked injustices and the death of a child is a horrendous injustice on cosmic proportions. Yes. God is coming to set things right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want to couple that a little bit to Second Peter chapter three, and I'm going to kind of read verses um, eight and nine a little bit out of order a little bit because 
you know, God is not willing that anyone would perish, but that all might come into repentance. God really doesn't want everyone to just be thrown into the lake of fire. He actually wants all to come into repentance. Mm. And we might say, well, where is your vengeance, God? Where, where are you? But Peter addresses this still in that same verse nine. He says, the Lord is not slack. He is not slow like some might count slowness or patience, but instead God is long suffering toward us. And then when you go back that verse before, it says, do not be ignorant of this one thing, beloved. The Lord is with one day as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And so just putting that in the perspective of God, God is going to avenge these things. Mm. But that happens in God's time, not in our time. And that's a very difficult thing to have. But we don't just want to reduce God to a comforter who's going to come and give a hug, but also to recognize that God is going to come and put away with these injustices. It's not so simple as God just needed a another, you know, voice in heaven or something like that. No, these these mm-hmm. are things that are against the created order and God is going to come and deliver people from that. Pastor Mike. Yeah, you know, I think the whole underlying, you know, thing of this is is that life is not fair. I know we use the word justice, but let's just go ahead and, and break it down. It that, you know, we're not entitled to to, you know, anything but at the end of the day it is against god's natural order for those to die you know early on in life whether that be you know in their 20s or or even younger and so when we see this great unfairness that just goes against the very nature that god has instilled us that just this isn't right this is unfair then our hope there's nothing in this world that is going to be that perfect fairness or that perfect justice but the but god is and god when he comes again to set things right to make things fair to place them back to his original design then that is a a sense not of of uh you know fearfulness of this but really something that we anticipate with great joy of knowing that this unfairness that so many people have experienced God is going to set things right and for that you know I think you have to look at this this text in its really context mm-hmm. of, of the great unfairness that people have experienced well before we slip too far past our opening dialogue on hope mm-hmm. I want to go to Matthew 12 or excuse me, John 12, verse 27, where Jesus himself is grieved. He's grieved over his own death, which is going to be coming here shortly. And Jesus about this in John 12, 27, he says, my soul has now become troubled. And what am I to say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose came I unto this hour. And from that, you find something very important about the Christian faith. And really, I'm going to say the truth of all creation. If you really want to persevere through the valley of the shadow of death, when moments of grief come, the antidote, and again, when I use the word antidote, an antidote is not something which wipes away the past. It's not a magic wand. The antidote means you it, it sustains you so that the the whatever poison or toxin is in your body, that is now stopped and you can now endure. There's still a lot of work to do. But the antidote to chaos and suffering that we find is not to go around it, but through it. Hmm. Jesus makes the statement, I am grieved over being in the valley of the shadow of death. I know that death comes before me. 
You know, in the modern world, we kind of put in the church, you know, oh, if you've got doubt in your heart, then suddenly you're not saved. Or if you, you have fear in your life, you're not saved. And we put this high commodity on emotions and act like that somehow governs the truth of our salvation. It doesn't at all. In fact, we see a lot of times biblically people who are unsure about what they're about to go through. Moses was not very happy about going before Pharaoh. <laughs> you know, I know we quote uh, Esther 4 a lot where Esther goes in before, or she makes the decision, if I perish, I perish. And then in verse or chapter 5, she goes into the king. But she wasn't very certain about that, was pretty certain that death might happen to her. But yet she did it anyway. <laughs> Moses does it anyway. Jesus himself, he has that time in the garden where he prays. <laughs> and he, you know, asks the Father, you know, if it's okay to take this cup from me, then do it. But if it's your will, then your will be done. Jesus has illustrated for us in his own life that your salvation, the quality of your faith, is not determined by your emotional sensations, but by your willingness to continue forth, to continue that march, to do even what your emotions may tell you not to do. And when it comes to understanding the hope we have in Christ, we must go through the grief, not around it. Mm. You have to go through the suffering. And any thoughts on that before we step into talking about honoring memories and having gratitude? Yeah, you know, I think there's a couple things there. And we talk often about the valley of the shadow of death and understanding that that's a valley, that it that there, it's not just a, a deep abyss that, that doesn't have any, um, you know, other mountain on the other side or whatever, but we travel through that valley. And then, you know, I'd like to also point out that even in that John passage, you see, you know, right before there where we have the death of Lazarus, um, and that the very things that took Lazarus' life, you know, whether it be illness or sickness or whatever, those things are not, you know, a, a part of what God wants. And Jesus there having such compassion and seeing the emotions of the sisters of Martha and Mary, it says that Jesus wept, that he understands this grieving. He has compassion. And so these emotions are are part of what we extend, but trying to go through that valley of the shadow of death does not mean we're not going to feel those emotions. And and there's going to be all kinds of emotions there that come in. And it's not just confined to sadness, but sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's all kinds of emotions that come in and uh, um, come. But I think this whole understanding of, of looking to Christ, the hope of Christ, traveling in you know continuing on even in the midst of suffering that we do not travel alone that god is with us and he is coming to set things right it creates this hunger for the return of christ to do to to actually set those things right amen well and i, I think that's the thing throughout scripture tells us right because scripture is, is the story not to belittle scripture but it is simply the story of the people of god and so there is a full spectrum of emotions that the people of God journey through. That there are times of great sadness and grief and pain, and there also are times of great joy and happiness and rejoicing. And what is consistent through those through all of that is God's presence, is God working Amen. in God's grace. And I think as specifically as we're talking in this conversation about grief, grief is messy. And we've all kind of heard I think in passing this idea of the five stages of grief or the three stages or I forget how many stages there are now. And and often those things can be reduced. Well, you start here in sadness and then you go through anger and denial and bargaining and I'm forgetting one of them, depression. And then eventually you get to acceptance and then you're golden. 
That's not how grief works. One minute, you may feel like you're finally, you've done all the crying, you have no more tears to shed, and you might even laugh a little. And that's okay to laugh in the middle of grief. That's actually really healthy to do. And you find a memory or a story or even just, I don't know, something, you saw a meme online that made you chuckle. That's great. And then the next moment, you're crying your eyes out again. That's that's grief. <laughs> again, it's messy. It's complicated. You have to allow yourself or those who are grieving beside you to go through that range of emotions. Um, it's good to have a partner that can journey with you so that they make sure you don't kind of get too uh, out of whack. Um you know, you need to make sure you take care of yourself physically and mentally and, and not do anything that would harm yourself or others. But to feel all your feelings, this is acceptable. This is good. This is right. And again, that's I think what we're saying is it's not if our faith is emotion based, then we're only going to feel like we're faithful when we're happy and we're going to feel like we're unfaithful when we're sad or God's unfaithful when we're sad. And what we find in all of this is that the whole of scripture from Genesis to Revelation says, yeah, sometimes we sing psalms of praise. Sometimes we sing songs of lament. We have a whole book called Lamentations in our Bible for this reason to tell us not only can we be sad at God, we can be angry with God and yell at God. And guess what God does? God listens. God sees. God understands. God holds us up. This is the good news of the gospel, that the entirety of our life, of the human life, of, of animal life, of, of the freaking rocks and trees, all of life is caught up in the grace of God. Amen. You know, I think sometimes as well, you know, there's an emotion that we don't often associate with grief. But sometimes, you know, people even struggle with guilt and say, you know, maybe yeah. I didn't tell this person I loved them enough or I didn't do this or I didn't do that or, I, you know, sometimes brokenness happens. But um, in relationships, you know, they, we, we, we maybe have said something we wished we hadn't have said. And so you see this whole realm where the enemy wants to try to, you know, make us feel bad and we, we do experience even guilt in that. But mm -hmm. I think that's the great hope is yeah. that when we look at Christ Jesus to set things right, um, we, we have this opportunity um, to pray to God and, and for that to come and that we will find even at the Messianic banquet and table of Christ that that is where we come to reconcile, not just with God, but with others. And so uh, a lot of times we experience even those, those types of emotions. So the emotions are not limited um, to just sadness, but it, it, like Pastor Amanda said, anger, um, you, you can name it. The, the, it's just completely manifold of different types of uh, emotions that you'll go through. Yep. Well, the next thing we're going to talk about is honoring someone's memory mm -hmm. and having gratitude for that. I do want to touch one thing real quick. You know, a lot of times people feel guilty about having joy. That is one of the tricks of the adversary. We're going to get to that when we get to our final segment on this topic. But for now, I want us to talk a little bit about having honor when we remember someone and also having gratitude in that too. You know, being someone who has gratitude in your heart, that does shape your psychology. It shapes how you interact with the world around you. You know, earlier I mentioned that if you lived a life of luxury, Revelation 19.11, where Jesus comes in on the white horse, you know, it's going to be confusing, if not mean. But if you've lived a life where terrible things have happened to you, you're going to look at that and see that it's hopeful. If you live a life without gratitude, you're not really going to appreciate things around you. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to the question of grief, whenever we have extreme sorrow over something, that 
does go a great deal in showing us how important that is to us. Because anything that is worthy of joy is also worthy of sorrow. And those two things kind of have that relationship with one another. Joy is different from just superficial happiness or even any sort of like momentary sensation. Joy is something which is really unique to living as a Christian, someone who is saved by the grace of God and the blood of Jesus. Joy is something which I have come as a pastor, as a man, I've come to realize joy is irrevocably intertwined with sorrow. Anything worthy of sorrow is worthy of joy, and anything worthy of joy is also worthy of sorrow. And here in the studio right now, there's a broken window, and it's actually a broken window from another part of the church. Ended up swapping them out so we'd have all the windows sorted out. The window is patched together. The company is is taking care of it, so we don't have really much to worry about, but we just got to wait for it for a few days. <laughs> I forget this window is broken until I walk into this room. Like, it's sealed up. It's a two-pane window. The inside pane's not broken. The outside one is one of those things where it's not really that big of a problem. You know why I don't remember that if I'm not looking at it? Because it's not worthy of joy. It's not mm-hmm. something which actually has any deep value. When you have a loved one, someone whom you've invested in, someone whom you've come to know, even children who have passed away, even before they might be able to speak, you've come to invest in them. You know what the weight of their body feels like in your hands. You know what it's like to to talk with someone, what the sound of their voice is. You have your routines, your expectations. You're used to seeing them at a certain hour. You're used to, to organizing your life in such a way that incorporates them. Suddenly when that's gone, you feel the weight of that on so many levels and in so many ways, whether it be the absence of it or maybe something reminds you of them and you go to pick up your phone and give them a call and suddenly they're not there. Whatever avenue, whatever it might Mm -hmm. be that spurs along that memory that causes you to recognize their absence, that sorrow comes because of the joy, because Mm -hmm. of the, the great value they had in your life. That is really where you start to appreciate and have some gratitude for the breath of life and realize that here we do live in this valley of the shadow of death, which spans all the way from the gates of Eden to the seat of judgment. This great dark valley, God is with us, and he has given us so great and precious a gift as is the breath of life. Pastor Mike? Yeah, you know, I think as you were talking about the connection of sorrow and joy, there's no greater place to look at that than in the cross of Christ Jesus. And so we have uh, songs like the old rugged cross Mm -hmm. where we cherish the old rugged cross. And then, you know, you think, how can there be such joy uh, there because it is the forgiveness of sins and and the it's not disconnected from the the uh, you know the empty tomb the resurrection of Christ but at the same time there's such sorrow there because the Son of God Christ Jesus is being on this um, very uh, torturous means of death. Uh, And so, you know, there is this sorrow, and yet again, there is this joy, and only is this joy available because of the work of God. And we can find that. Uh, I think, you know, we can see that cross working in many areas of our life. And so, again, you know, there are some who, who look at the theology and say, oh, you know, that we don't sing that song, the old rugged cross, and, you know, cherish it and all of this and how it's a, a horrific instrument. But I think if we look deeply into that, we can find that not only is God uh, taking something that is so hideous, but he's bringing out something good, 
the mm-hmm. forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life that even in this tragic horrific death god brings out something good mm-hmm. the victory over death and so yes I, I you know i've never even thought about it as much until you made that comment earlier well let's talk a little bit about honoring memories because oftentimes when someone is missing it can quickly become true in someone's life where the people around you maybe people who didn't know the one who passed so well they kind of seem to want to move on and kind of forget that person but if you're someone who is really close to someone who's passed on you want to keep that memory alive you want to honor that you you simply want to hear their name mentioned to see them brought up to see that people really did love and appreciate them and oftentimes when people are grieving no matter how close to the death or far away they are there is that desire to have the memory honored Mm -hmm. to hear their name said out loud to hear the stories whether it be a really complicated long story or just something simple saying Mm -hmm. you know i remember a certain smile or or whatever it may be honoring those memories is something which is really important just talking a lot of times about people Mm -hmm. any thoughts on that well you know, I think a lot of times why we, we don't talk about a loved one that's passed is because we feel like it will cause more grief. And it may cause more tears in the moment, more sorrow in the moment, but it actually helps us process the grief. And I think also so many of us have been on the receiving end of some pretty, not terrible in the sense of malicious, but just poor theolo- theological statements about heaven and death. And so we're so scared to then extend any kind of advice or help or words of comfort to the person that's grieving and we're so scared we're going to say the wrong thing and so we just think silence is better and let me say like sometimes the best thing we can do is the ministry of presence as ministers as pastors and even as lay leaders in the church sometimes just being there is no words need to be spoken but as a person continues in their journey in grief and as we each individually continue in our own journeys of grief we do have to talk at some point or communicate at some point. And like you said, it doesn't have to be a long story. It could be. But just to simply say something like, you know, I miss seeing so-and-so. Or I, or I saw this at Walmart and I thought, you know, so-and-so would have enjoyed that. Little statements like that tells the person who's grieving, your loved one is gone, yeah, but not forgotten. And that their presence and their legacy it still lives on throughout the story of the people who love them. And so it, it is, I, I, it gets complicated, right? We get, we either say too much or we don't say anything at all. And we, we seem to oscillate between those two extremes, but to find comfort in just simply sharing life with somebody and telling not always, sometimes it doesn't even have to be our story. Um, I've done a couple of funerals where people I kind of knew from a distance or knew really of them more than knew them exactly. And I couldn't share stories about the person who passed. I didn't know them, but I could ask questions. And I, I could just, you know, at, at funerals particularly where they had them, we, we had one recently where uh, the lady who passed, she always made sure she had Snicker bars in the freezer for everyone to share. And so they made sure they bought Snickers for everyone to have at the, the dinner that followed uh, her funeral. And I could ask about that and they could share that story and they could felt like her presence was still there because we shared in that moment. I didn't really have to say much. I just had to say, oh, cool, Snickers. Why? And then, you know, and that led to an opportunity. So 
Yes, dealing with grief, it's complicated, it's messy, and we will put our foot in our mouth at some point at some time. And that's okay, as long as we're willing to journey with one another in that in that sharing uh, of those memories. Yeah, and I know, Pastor Mike, you wanted to come here. Let me say something real quick, though. There will be the putting of the foot in the mouth. A lot of times <laughs> people are so worried about that that they won't talk about someone who's passed. Mm. But this is where you really get the difference between short-term and long-term things. Some things are more immediately satisfying. Some things are more long-term long satisfying. When it comes to honoring and having gratitude for those who have passed, sometimes it might bring more tears or sorrow in that moment. But the appreciation of keeping someone's memory alive is indicative of the larger Christian faith that says there is a resurrection of the body. There is a reuniting of those who are, are gone. And though there might be some more immediate pain, the value of that long-term honor, mm. I think, is something which is a lot more important. And well, I'll let Amanda respond. Just to that real quick, quick statement. I was going to say also, if we're worried about putting our foot in the mouth and saying something wrong, then don't say something like, "Don't try to give people a theology of grief in the midst of their grief or a theology of heaven sure. in the midst of that." Instead, and I'm not saying those things aren't important, but I'm saying in the moment that may not be the right time to like let's discuss your eschatology. That's not what we're doing here. Um, then just talk about the person. Right. Talk about the family. Don't try to say like. You know, don't try to put them in hell or heaven or purgatory. Like, that's a discussion for another time. Sure. Just talk about the person, the family, and their memory. And, and you will rarely, unless you are sharing just a very inappropriate story, <laughs> but you will, more often than not, you will be okay. You won't put your foot in the mouth if you're sharing about the life of the person who passed. So sure. that I think that's really good tangible advice for people who are either in grief themselves or who are journeying with other people who are grieving. If you don't know what to say, then... Well, one, it might be okay just not to say anything, but also might be good just to ask a question or share a short story of the person that, that you passed. Don't don't try to, you're not going to outsmart death, so don't even <laughs> attempt to do it. Just share in the moment in the life of the person who passed. Amen. Pastor Mike? You know, I think the, as you were talking about, a lot of people are silent because they, they don't know, they don't want to evoke tears. And let's just be honest, grieving really even though it doesn't seem like a lot of labored physical labor it is extremely tiring mm -hmm. and it takes a tremendous amount of energy to grieve and so i think there's this hesitation of honoring and you know remembering someone um is often um a, a lot of times not a motivator to bring that up because it is so taxing on the person that you're talking to and it will it, it may evoke uh, tears it may evoke that but i think amanda rightfully said you know the the tears and the grieving is something that is natural for us that we don't have to resist it and mm. it may even bring laughter as you said with the yeah. snicker bars or something but the thing that's most important here is it tells the person that is grieving that this person mattered mm -hmm in this world we haven't forgot and one of the beautiful things god has given us is a memory and and we can have those memories we can share that but the importance of allowing that person to know that this life made a difference and it hasn't been forgotten certainly outweighs the the tremendous amount of energy that it, it takes to even approach and make this conversation mm -hmm. so um you know and it and you know a lot of times i think people who 
are grieving when no one asks, they do feel this sense of, you know, why isn't someone asking? Mm. And so there's a hurt there, and it, and there, there needs to be a healthy balance. Now, I don't think you just have to constantly dwell on someone and, and you know, with, with conversation of this, but there is a time and place. And, I, and let's just be honest. The loss of a close loved one, especially if it's a young person, there is no way of ever getting over the grieving now do you deal with it and and you move through life and you travel through this this great valley yes but the grief is and the there's nothing to get over there remember that that passage they the mothers will not be comforted but there is still this grieving and this this understanding that we can say that their life was important and we do it with different ways uh doesn't have to be just directly said that, but we can ask those questions as Pastor Amanda suggested. Well, let's go now to talk a little bit about the way the the adversary comes to wreak havoc in the grieving process. Mm-hmm. And actually, I'm going to direct this back to Pastor Mike because you shared when we were getting the show prepared today about a mother who lost one of her children and really was hungry to hear that child's name and how the silence, how so many people, they would talk to her husband but wouldn't speak directly to her, how really what a lot of times people will will think is modesty or not knowing what to say, how the adversary really found a leverage point with that. Would you kind of pick up on that that whole subject there? Yeah, this this mother who, who had lost a child, Oh, it's been several years ago now, but as she had lost that child, you know, the church, uh, even though they had extended, you know, some things, but but there wasn't a lot of, of, you know, talk to her personally. Maybe they mentioned it to her husband, who was a pastor, but um, she just felt like no one remembered Rebecca's name, and she Mm. longed to hear that name. She longed to hear that people cared, and it was, and it was, not that the church didn't care, but I think, again, it was this uh, lack of understanding, what do we say for a mother who's grieving? And she felt like, you know, no one cared. And that's mm. where the adversary planted these seeds. And uh, it really hurt her emotionally. And, and you know, it, it it almost creates a time where, you, you are less motivated to go and be with the congregation because of the silence. And so, uh, yes, it created more grief in her life because she felt like people didn't care. And again, I think this was an attack. I don't think the people didn't care. I think they truly cared. But I think the adversary saw an avenue to attack this, this grieving mother. Yeah. Certainly. Well, another thing that often happens is diminishing statements can really wreak havoc in the Mm. grieving process. And when I say a diminishing statement, something like, oh, well, God needed another angel. Um, And I may let Pastor Amanda slip in and talk about that because I think this too is something which the adversary really gets a foothold Mm -hmm. in taking something and and really just bringing chaos. Yeah. Well, oh, just kind of fun fact, and we couldn't verify it, but we were, I was doing some Googling as we were working on this lesson or, or on this program and I was like, okay, where did that theology or philosophy come from that said, like, people, when they die, they, they become angels? And uh, the best answer I could get, according to Google, 
was that apparently Charles Dickens in some of his works and even in some of his personal letters wrote about especially children who had died and he, remember he's writing in the the latter part of um the the uh, industrial revolution there in England and child labor was this very horrendous thing that was happening and people were being thrown into poor houses and jails and, and families were being destroyed and children were dying and it, it was a very terrible time and so he would write about this idea that, that children then who had passed under these horrific uh, situations were becoming angels and so that's kind of maybe I'm not f for sure if that's exactly where we got that kind of idea but it's something that has permeated throughout uh the years and even today we hear things like that but I think really at the heart of the problem of that kind of philosophy is we end up blaming God and although God is definitely all-powerful all-knowing and all those all good things <laughs> um, there is we also talk about the difference between God's perfect will and God's permissible will so what God allows and then what God really wants and God wants for all of us to be saved but because God is not a God who intrudes, God is not a God who takes advantage of people, God does not force God's self on others, we get the choice whether we live into that grace or not. Yeah. And because of that, there are horrific consequences. And not always direct consequences. Just because someone died did not mean they had some secrets in their life. But because there is sin, because there is death in this world, we will all experience the consequence of that. Right. And what God wants is not for another angel or another flower in his garden or another, I don't know, piano player in the angelic choir, whatever really bad analogies we give. What God wants is for us to have life and life to the fullest. Yeah. And this is where then good news of the gospel comes in and tells us when you experience death now, that is not the final word. Right. You will grieve and yeah. you will miss your loved one. Yeah. But that is not the end, that sure. you will be joined with them. There will be a great reunion. And I don't know how all that is going to work. Um, really, honestly, I, I think most of our gospel writers and even John the Revelator wasn't even 100 percent sure on how all that would work. Yeah. Um, but even with all that uncertainty, they knew one thing for sure. And that was that there will be a time where there'll be nothing but God's grace. Right. And, and so that we don't need these weird analogies or these weird stories about, you know, the lo loved one or what is it when you hear thunder, it's it's the angels playing bowling or, you know, whatever it is. Like, we don't need that to comfort us because the words of comfort have already right. been spoken. And that is that they are in the arms of Jesus and we look forward to that day when we will be there as well. And, you know, tying that back to our first segment and all this, I think that's where the church is really good at exemplifying that Jesus is our comforter, but we've forgotten that Jesus is also our defender. Mm. And that when you look somewhere like the book of Job, God is not the one who initiates the suffering on Job. The adversary is, Satan, the accuser. And when it comes to, to death and many of the things of chaos in the world around us, we have to kind of take a step back and realize that God is sovereign. You know, in Job 38, God asked the questions, you know, where were you when I laid the foundations mm -hmm. of the world? Do you know? Do you have an answer? What it looked like to measure the foundations and the sky, the expanse above? You know, he comes and reminds Job that you, you haven't seen the full picture. Mm -hmm. And even in the life around us, when we experience great sorrow, if for the Lord a day is us a thousand years and a thousand years is one day, every breath that we have is a gift and we should be grateful for it. 
But also, we can't be tricked by the adversary into think that the entirety of eternity is a human lifetime, regardless of how long that may or may not be. But when we sit back and we don't look at just shallow words or things that diminish the expanse mm-hmm. of eternity, because that's really what they're doing. When you, you treat God as merely a comforter and who needs another angel or something like that, you're diminishing the extremity of God's grace. You're really doing a shallow grace that fails to acknowledge the truth of fallen creation and also the beauty of the resurrection mm-hmm. and the great price that God paid so that these things can be laid to rest, that they can all be sorted out in a way that only God can. And real quick, I'm going to pass this over to Pastor Mike, but I want to go back and address what Scripture actually says about when children pass. I actually feel like Jesus addresses this pretty head on in Matthew chapter 18. He touches on it a little bit in Matthew 19. But in Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, the disciples come to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You know, it's a pretty straightforward question. Who's great in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever shall humble himself as the little child is the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And while Jesus is certainly telling people on a spiritual level, you need to be humble like a child. Also, you can clearly see Jesus is being very literal here as well. Those who come to him as little children, they will be great in the kingdom of heaven. Let us not mince words here. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of layers to a lot of things Jesus teaches. Um, He's very dynamic in that sense. And this is not a purely figurative statement. And you know that's true because of what he goes on to say in the next few verses. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 6 through 7, he says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin... It is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck, that he be drowned in the depths of the sea. For woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to the person through whom the stumbling block comes. In other words, Jesus is saying if you cause a child to sin, you know, something which leads to death, if you cause a child to die, woe be unto that. Because God does not take kindly to death in general. But also in specific, if you do this against children, those children will be great in God's kingdom and God will come to avenge that. So to that specific question, I think Jesus addresses it pretty clearly right there. And I'll let Pastor Mike come in. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of times God gets blamed for a lot of things God doesn't do. And, and hey, we're all guilty of, of sometimes doing that, I know. And I know I'm, I'm confessing here. But there is this place where we say, you know, God took this person Well, you know, God is a a God of life. He is not the God that wants to come and, and, you know, um, harm the innocents, uh, the innocent. And so we see this uh, often people saying, you know, God come and took this one. God is not a God who comes and wants to take children from the arms of parents. God wants to come and give life. God is about the family. We know that God loves the family. He created us. It is the natural law of God for families to exist. And so, you know, that is a, a, a statement that has been made by many, and it is not really thought through hmm. very well. And it's, and again, very shallow. 
And at the same time, we know and we have, and I, I have prayed, especially when someone is older that is suffering for God to come and touch and heal them, and God has in some instances, but God has always, has, has I believe, come and touched that person and brought them home. And again, Dylan, I think you are totally right that we should never uh, allow the, the enemy to come in and diminish life and confine life to just this world that really, I think it was Bonhoeffer that said uh, right before he was being hung, they said, well, you've reached the end. And he said, the end, this is the beginning. Mm -hmm. That really life is not defined by this world. Jesus come and came and really extended our understanding of eternal life is without end. Mm -hmm. And that reaches back in time, but it also reaches forward. Amen. Well, as we get close to the end, and we're we've got about eight minutes left, so we've got to kind of wrap this up. Another thing that the adversary really does is when people have lost a loved one, you know, for a couple that loses a child. Yeah. You know, this oftentimes ends in divorce. It's they oftentimes do not want to feel joy with one another. They feel guilty about having joy. They feel guilty about laughing, about having happiness in life. And this, too, is a work of the adversary, Hmm. where you really fail to be able to honor the goodness of life you had with someone else by not allowing yourself to have joy. You, You keep yourself from even continuing together as a family and moving upwards with God. A lot of times, the adversary can use guilt as a mechanism to rob us of gratitude, to rob us of those memories, and to to taint the goodness of life, the to even taint some of those memories as well, to kind of cause our brains to rewrite some things. But not allowing joy in the midst of sorrow, because again, mm-hmm. those two things are intertwined, mm-hmm. but allowing guilt to come in there and replace joy, to just be all sorrow and guilt all the time and not sorrow and joy, that, that really is a work of the adversary. And let's have a few thoughts on that. You know, I think guilt also is a slippery pathway to blaming Mm, and wanting to point the finger. And we see this all the way back into Genesis 3. But, you know, even when we we do feel feel those emotions of guilt, it is very easily to not only blame ourselves, to blame others. And all of a sudden you see the adver- the, the, the enemy coming in and, and cra- causing this division. And I think we have to really, I think, in, incorporate, even in the midst of our grief, the gratitude of having our loved one in our life, as short or as long as that may be, but have this gratitude of the time we did have. And also have this gratitude of knowing the possibility of eternal life. And so of, of, of where God makes all things new. And so you see people that say all kinds of things and, you know, question someone's salvation. Hey, God is judge, not us. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let us place that person in God's hands. Let God be the judge. And, you know, for those who long and hunger and thirst to see their their loved one again, we'll place that in God's hands too and not our own. And so, you know, whether we, I've heard people say, well, so-and-so wasn't baptized or this one and that. That's a ritual. Well, don't forget the thief on the cross. And don't put God in a box. Mm-hmm. We do not know 
uh, how, you know, even though it may have been a short time in someone's death, and maybe they had lived a sinful life, but God indeed can take that time and do whatever needs to have taken place, and you don't know what experience that person has. Sure, we may have some 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 things and we should never try to beat someone up but let us let god be all powerful and that's not to say that everyone is saved we know that that is a an opportunity between god and that person but we do not know all the intricacies and the mysteries of how powerful God can work. Mm-hmm. And so we look to this great hope and this love that God has for uh, his creation. Mm. I, I had a couple of thoughts, so I'm trying to organize them, so I'm, I'm buying myself some time here. Um, well, okay, here we go. Um, you're talking about grief and, sor- grief and joy being intermixed, sorrow and joy being intermixed. And this is the thing, right? Christ comes to the world. Not as a fully formed 33-something-year-old person who, you know, it starts his existence and then, you know, right there and then dies on Friday night and is resurrected on Sunday morning. Instead, Jesus comes to us, the incarnate word comes to us as, well, is conceived. Yeah. Nine I months later is, yeah. is born. You know, grows as a child, grows in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. If you ever went, you know, did caravan, you, you know that verse by heart. Learned, walked, talked, ate, developed relationships, grieved, cried, laughed, had fun, <laughs> silly fun. <laughs> Actually, Jesus got accused a lot of having too much fun, uh, if you listen to the Pharisees. Um, but also cried with his friends, cried, uh, you know, at the Garden of Gethsemane. Christ didn't come just to save our poor sinning souls. Christ came to redeem life. Amen. And not that, you know, not to do away with (laughs) that Christ did come to save us from sin, but more than just that. And so if Christ, if God, God's self had decided, did decide that it was necessary for all of life to be experienced with its joys and its sorrows, then who do we think we are? that we cannot also experience both sorrow and joy. Yeah. And it is messy and it is terrible. And you know that guilt is every person who has lost a loved one and then had a moment of joy in the midst of that sorrow has always felt guilty. So don't feel guilty over the guilt. <laughs> but in all of that, Christ has come to redeem, to be present, to to transform, to journey with us through all of those emotions. So so all those emotions are caught up in the life of Christ and they should none of them should be diminished. The joy should not will not diminish the sorrow and the sorrow will not diminish the joy. They exist together because life is all of those things. And then I had another thought. So Pastor Mike was discussing about um, we we don't know everyone's story in its completeness. And and I remember hearing this I actually heard it off of a it was a young adult book that got turned into a movie and but they were sharing this concept this math concept about eternities or uh, inf- infin- infiniteness so we know that there are an infinite number of numbers between zero and one you can point five point two five point five six seven you know you could just keep going and going and going putting numbers behind decimal points for all of eternity there is an infinite number of numbers between zero and one and yet we can also say that then there are more infinite numbers between zero and two than just between zero and one. So now you don't just have 
0.1, 0.3, 0.45, you know, 9, 12, whatever. You now have one point and so forth and so on. And I bring that concept up to say that, again, to use also the passage Pastor Dylan used about uh, to God, a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years. God journeys with us through time, but also all of time exists within God. And what Amen. God can do in a day, for some of us, it takes an entire lifetime for us to live out our salvation with fear and trembling. But that doesn't mean God can't use a moment or an hour or a second. Because time does has no authority over God. God has authority over time. And I really don't know what to do with all that that I just said, to be honest. Um, I think if we sit with that for long enough, it's going to confuse us, or it's confusing me at least. But what I can say with utmost certainty is I can give it to God. Because Amen. God's desire is for all to be saved. And again, God doesn't uh, abuse that. We still have free will. But however God chooses to use God's power, and we choose to respond to that, that's... That is not for me to decide. Now, I can live rightly with God, and I can try my hardest to help others to live rightly with God, but that is where my responsibilities begin and end. And everything else, I can trust that God will take care of it. Amen. Well, as we go to wrap up this program, we have to remember that our hope is in Christ in Christ alone. There, there is no other hope. All the antidotes the world sells us, because a lot of times whenever someone dies, the world kind of... The adversary slips in to have us blame one another and get mad over a lot of things. And we we always want to look for these solutions, but all human solutions, they fall short of dealing with the principal question, death. Mm. Nothing we can do will take away the fact that we're mortals. God alone has authority in that area. Now, to go in a little bit of a different direction, looking at things from the perspective of heaven, not just from the perspective of, of the world, Every soul, every man or woman, boy or girl, made in the image of God is, is of such enormous value to God. Whether they lived for a few days, maybe they were not born yet, maybe they lived a hundred years, who knows. God who, in his authority, where a day is a thousand years, a thousand years, one day, they're all valuable to God. Mm-hmm. And when we sit back and look at the weight of that, and we can look at the beauty of God's victory, there is such hope that we have there that we really can't find anywhere else. So we're going to wrap up there. Pastor Mike, I'll let you close us out in prayer. Amen. And knowing as preachers do, they might have a little final thoughts in their prayer, but Pastor Mike, would you close us out? Indeed. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we remember many of those uh, prayers that we were taught as children. And probably, Lord, there is so much uh, to be learned in those prayers. And we pray this, God is good, God is great. Let us thank him for our food. But, Lord, we thank you for all life. We thank you for memories. We thank you for those loved ones. And so, Lord, uh, help us to understand that, indeed, you are good. In fact, Lord, we have gratitude in our life, in our hearts, for the life that you have given us, those lives of those loved ones, and those that have um, uh, gone on from this world. And, Lord, we long for that day to see them again. We long for you to saddle up the great wise horse and come. But, Lord, we know, indeed, there is uh, no desire that none should perish. So, Lord, as we wait patiently, we ask you to guide us in this world. Help us help those who are traveling through those valleys. 
And Lord, maybe we be reminded that you are on the throne and that your kingdom lasts forever and ever. And I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.